God's word. This is the only perfect part of the worship service, God and his word, and he will use his word in our hearts and lives as we yield to him. I'm reading Philippians chapter 1, verses 18 to 26. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. 
I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. And this is God's word. And please be seated. As we go to a time of prayer now, I want to um, remind you giving is a part of our ongoing worship in life, and I want to thank you for giving joyfully and sacrificially and regularly, and encourage you to do so online and in person in the box in the back of this room, as well, or by mailing checks in. Um, we're going to be praying for Ed and Carla Trenner today, who work with On Mission Partners. We'll also be praying for Central Africa Baptist University and Kitway Church in Zambia. We have the uh, president of that school preaching today, and I want to just introduce him now before I pray. Phil Hunt is um, here with his wife, Lori. Uh, He and his wife, Lori, have served in Africa since 1992, and they've been planting churches and training a new generation of leaders for gospel ministry. Uh, They planted um, Faith Baptist Church Riverside in Kitwe, Zambia. I've preached at that church. Uh, in 1993, he started that church, and then in 2015, he planted Kitway Church uh, out of that other church, and Phil is the pastor of that church now. He is the president of Central Africa Baptist University in Kitway, Zambia, since it began in 2006. Uh, they also helped start Faith Children's Village Orphanage in 2003. Uh, they have seven kids. Uh, their youngest, Corbin, is along for the ride uh, this time. They've been in the States for six weeks uh, to... Um, watch one of their kids uh, graduate college uh, from the Masters University uh, last month, and then uh, this month, uh, next Sunday, uh, that same daughter will be getting married. So they're here for a while, and we're glad that he's with us today. So let's go ahead and go to a time of prayer. Lord, we thank you and praise you that we can come to you now. We acknowledge you as God Almighty, and we come to you as people desperate in need of your grace. I want to acknowledge who you are and trust you even to refocus us upon eternal truths, to acknowledge that you are holy and righteous and good and merciful and gracious and kind and loving and just, and that you are sovereign and that you are in control of this world and we are not. And we acknowledge that all praise and honor and glory is due to you and not to us. We want to give glory to your name. We come to you today, most holy God, as people who have had their feet soiled by the dirt of this world, that our hearts have dabbled in too many trivial matters, that we have gone after too many harmful sins, and that we are in desperate need of your forgiveness and your cleansing. We have judged others. We have grieved your spirit. We have gossiped. We have condemned others. We have gone after false gods. We have even agreed with sin and given hearty approval. Forgive us, Lord, as we confess and forsake our sins. And we thank you, Lord, that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Lord, I pray that you would renew our hearts and our minds by your spirit, through your word, and that you would forgive us our many sins. Lord, you are the giver of every good and perfect gift. You are the giver of life. You are the giver of eternal life and We thank you that there is forgiveness in you. There is abundant mercy, and you are rich in grace, all by your sovereign will. 
We thank you, Lord, that you lead us and guide us and protect and provide for your people. And Lord, we acknowledge that we are conscience-bound to obey your word. And I pray that you would give us the strength we need to serve you wholeheartedly, that we may reject pride in, in all of its forms, that even as pride is paraded in front of our eyes and we are enticed, may we decisively reject the lust of the flesh and the, the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life, that we would yield to you such that we would be conformed to your character and your will, that your word would have its desired effect upon our hearts and our lives and our ministries, we trust you, our sovereign God, given us the perfect word. You would use it to do your work. Lord, we have seen magnificent displays of your grace in our lives, in others' lives, even this week. We have seen you do so many miracles. We have seen you deliver so many and deliver us so many times. You've turned our hearts back to you. You have opened so many hearts to the gospel. We pray that you would continue to do so, Lord, and use us in the process even as we hold forth the word of life in a needy and wandering world. Even, Lord, this Memorial Day weekend, we, we thank you for all who have bravely protected our country. We remember the many loved ones and families who've had heartbreak over saying goodbye, and for many it was the last goodbye. We know, Lord, until you come again, there will be wars and rumors of wars, and I pray, Lord, that those who serve may do so bravely and boldly. We also Thank you and, and praise you and, and pray for Ed and Carla Trenner as they live to, uh, on mission everywhere you place them. Thank you for the many hearts and lives that have been blessed through theirs. and Bless the work of their hands, Lord. We also pray for the ministry of Central Africa Baptist University in Kitwe, Zambia. We pray for Kitwe Church in Zambia. Lord, even today, bless the preaching of your word. Open our eyes that we would see wonderful things in it, even as Phil preaches today. Lord, speak, Lord, for we are listening. We pray all of this in the magnificent name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Would you stand if you're able as we continue to sing?
going to continue worshiping. As we do, we're going to look at Hebrews 4, where it says, Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. This morning we'll sing together boldly I approach the lyrics start when condemnation grips my heart and Satan tempts me to despair. I hear the voice that scatters fear. The great I am, the Lord is here. Oh, praise the one who fights for me and shields my soul eternally. Boldly I approach your throne. Blameless now I'm running home. By your blood I come, welcomed as your own, into the arms of majesty. As we sing, we'll reflect on this passage.
Father, it is by the blood of Jesus that we come boldly before your throne. Not because we worked hard enough or were good enough, but because Jesus, in his perfection, lived a life that we were unable to live and died a death as a sacrifice that we might have right relationship with you. And so it's by the blood of Jesus that we come boldly this morning and we ask, Lord, that you would use your word as we hear it now, that you would use your word to transform our hearts and our minds to make us more like Jesus, to help us see you more clearly and to love you more fully. We pray your blessing over the preaching of the word now. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Phil Hunt. My wife Lori is here, although I think uh, she has uh, she may not be in this particular service. And my son Corbin, we are so pleased to be here. It's great to have uh, Pastor Mike and Connor and Stephen and uh, the men who came out earlier this year to Zambia and ministered with us and for us. It's just so grateful. Take your Bibles, please, and turn with me to the book of Philippians, chapter number one. Philippians, chapter. Number one, and what I want us to do this morning is particularly to look at verses 22, uh, 20 through 23 with a particular focus on verse 21. And what I would like to attempt to do is to unpack what Paul is saying uh, in its context and then on the second part of, of what I would like to say to you, I'd like to make some attempts to apply uh, what Paul is saying to our, uh, to our life and to our ministry. I want to speak to you this morning on this subject, living when dying is gain. Living when dying is gain. There are worse things than dying, like being a child of God who misses e- their eternal purpose for their earthly existence, ask you this question this morning, kind of set the stage for what I think the Apostle Paul is, is arguing and explaining to these Philippian Christians in the city of Philippi. Now remember, Philippi was the first European outreach, the first church plant in Europe, planted by the Apostle Paul, and persecution against the Christian faith has broken out. In fact, Paul himself is under arrest. Uh, he is uh, incarcerated in Rome, awaiting his uh, his trial, and he anticipates being set free. In fact, we know that uh, according to history, he was released from this particular imprisonment. And as he is incarcerated for his faith, he is thinking of these suffering Christians in the city of Philippi, this ancient uh, center of European Roman influence, uh, the city of Philippi. And And there we know from from his letter in chapter number four that the Philippians were suffering for their faith. They were in extreme poverty because they were not allowed to do business unless they uh, would would affirm that Caesar was their Lord. But, But they have affirmed another Lord. His name is Jesus Christ. And so they are suffering. They are persecuted. Paul is imprisoned and Paul is writing to exhort them to 
to encourage them, to build them up, to get them to think correctly about the life and the circumstance and the situation and the ministry that they are involved in. So let me ask you this question. What do you really believe this morning about life, about death, eternity, God, and his will? You see, the things that you and I value, truly value, shape a philosophy by which we live. Now, we may not have ever defined that philosophy. We may never have thought down and put it down with pen and paper. And yet, the very value system that you embrace, what you truly believe, shapes the decisions that you make and the actions that you take. And Paul is very, very concerned that the Philippians think correctly about the circumstances that they are facing. Everyone has values that shape their philosophy of life. Our philosophy of life, our values, uh, shapes the way we view our culture, the decisions that we make. It, It actually forms for us a view of what we see as reality. In his comments on the book of Philippians, Martin Lloyd-Jones suggested that several different competing philosophies that we see around us. One he called uh, the Epicurean philosophy. Basically, this is a philosophy of life that says, hey, you know what life is about? Life is about having fun, having a good time. Life is about pleasure. I was talking to my mom some time ago, and she mentioned a a colleague of hers that... um, had actually gone into a a medical, scientific medical establishment in her city and had sold her body. She's still alive, but she sold her body to science and actually got the cash, sold herself, got the cash, so now, and signed all the legal documents, so when she died, they get her body because she wanted to go on a cruise So she sold her physical body, got the money, so she'd go on a cruise. That's what we're talking about. There are people who live like that, right? The humanist, life is about people. You know, they would tell you that that basically we're all good, but we've been captured and we're captivated in a bad environment. So change the environment and everything will be fine, right? Or those who, who, for them, life is about religion, performing religious duties, But I think for most of us, life is about our family, our home, our work, our occupation, the activities of life. But in our text this morning, the Apostle Paul is concerned that the Philippian Christians think right about this issue of values and philosophy of life and ministry. Several years ago, I visited one of the members of our church there in Zambia. Uh, I live in Zambia, I've been there for 30, lived there for 30, 31 years, and, and um, I, I was visiting Kid, uh, Kidwe Central Hospital. It's the second largest hospital in the country. Thousands of beds. Um, and I walked through the double doors, I went up the stairs to the, to the ladies' low-cost ward. They have a high cost and a low cost. Um, you, probably from the West, would not see a difference in quality between either one of them. 
Um, but I, I walked up and, and I walked through those double doors and I could see the rows of beds, kind of like World War II, those metal uh, steel beds. And, and, and 50 or 60 women in one big room, maybe the size of this auditorium. And as I walked through those double doors, Agnes began, I, I could hear her voice, I was coming down the hall. She was very loud. She had been ill for some time and, and she was wasting away and she had come to know Christ at, at, at our church and been discipled, her and her daughter. Her husband had abandoned her for another woman. And now she was uh, quite ill and I went, uh, as I walked through the door, she saw me and she began to yell. She would, I mean, everybody in the place could hear. And she says to me, I was making my way around the beds and, you know, picking up the IV lines from other patients and making my way over to her bed. And she's sitting there on the edge of her bed and she's gripping the little, the little rubber mattress and she's saying in a very loud voice, Pastor, I'm dying. I'm dying. And I sat down next to her on the bed and I put my arm around her little shoulders and I reminded her of the gospel. We shared scripture together and we prayed together. And before I left, I said to Agnes, I said, Agnes, it's okay to die. It's okay. You see, for a child of God, it's okay when that day comes. And Paul is speaking of this. For a child of God, it's okay to die. When, when that time comes, we know that heaven is our future eternal reward and we will be face to face with Jesus himself. It's okay. But you know that for billions of people around the world this morning, it's not okay to die. Because in all of the years that they have lived, they have never one time heard of Jesus. They've never heard the gospel. In fact, on our continent, 1.4 billion people, it is estimated that at least 260 million people on our continent, it's not that they're not believers in Jesus, it's that they've never even heard of him in the first place. 260 million, that's more than the entire population of the United States of America living on our continent who have never even heard of the gospel. They've never heard of Christ and his atoning sacrifice. And until we develop as God's children, a biblical philosophy of life and ministry, we will remain largely impotent as the people of God in reaching this world around us, just outside our doors, and to the ends of the earth. The book of Philippians reveals the true Christian mind. In fact, in every section and chapter and division of this book, that, that idea or that word is found. Paul literally is saying throughout this letter to the Philippians, here is how a Christian should think about these things. And when we look at the life of the Apostle Paul and his writings, we find many statements throughout his life that offer insight into his own thinking. For instance, it was Paul who said, for necessity is laid upon me, woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. To the Romans, he wrote, I made it my aim not to preach where Christ was named. 
To the believers in Corinth, he wrote, I have become all things to all men that I might by all means save some. And again, he said to them, Who are we but bondservants through whom you believed? And in the book of Acts, Paul would say, Neither count I my life dear to myself. This fundamental philosophy, this driving philosophy of life and ministry is 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 captured in this one phrase. As Paul says to the Philippians, as he encourages them, as he, as he speaks of his joy, as he, as he encourages them in their faith, in the midst of suffering and trial and difficulty, in a very difficult place. Paul says, friends, I, I want you to know what motivates me. I want you to understand my perspective of life. I am in prison for the sake of the gospel, but I want you to understand how I see all of this. Look at verse 21, please. Look at your text. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. I want us to understand what Paul is saying in the context of, of this letter and in the context of Paul's life, what does Paul mean? If we, could, if, we could, if we could ask Paul and then allow Paul to answer us from his own writings in the New Testament. You see, living when dying is gain reshapes our view of life and death and ministry. Serving Christ. Living when dying is gain reshapes our view of life and death. So let's ask Paul two questions. Here's the first question. Paul, what do you mean when you say, for to me, to live is Christ? What do you mean by that, Paul? What are you you telling us this morning? What do you mean, Paul, when you say, That for you, living is all about Christ. What does that mean, Paul? Notice what Paul, notice Paul's, the context of of this statement. Verse 20, it's my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but with all or full courage, now as always, that Christ would be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For me to live as Christ died again. Look at verse 22. If I am to live on in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which, yet, yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I mean, if I had to make a choice right now, Paul's saying, be- between, between living as a Christian or dying and seeing Jesus, I'm not even sure which one I would choose. Look, look, at, verse, look at verse 23. For I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ. For that is far better, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. So Paul, what do you mean for to me to live is Christ? And notice Paul's, Paul's response. My highest affection, my deepest passion, and my overriding ambition is Christ and him alone. In Christ alone I find fulfillment and happiness and joy unspeakable. Isn't that what the world is looking for? Contentment, fulfillment, answers, happiness, peace, 
Contentment? Isn't that what the, what, what the world is out there looking for? And they're running up and down all these different philosophies of life, all these different rabbit trails that end in dark places. And what is Paul saying? Paul is saying, for to me, it's none of those things. My entire life is focused on Jesus Christ. In him alone, I find my worth both personally and in my ministry. I live for his approval, his smile, his nod of affirmation. Can I ask you this morning, friend, what, what, are, what are the priorities in your life? These are, these are Paul's priorities. Christ, that was his priority. What's yours? What are your interests? What is your purpose in life? What are the things that you look at as a child of God that give your life value or meaning? In other words, what are the things that you would say, ha, ah, now this is living. Wow. I ask you, how do you spend your leisure time? What do you read? Like when you kind of switch off in the evening and there's nothing else going on and everything is kind of quieted down, where does your mind go? What do you think about? Where do you spend your resources? Paul, what do you mean for me to live as Christ? Well, not only is Christ my highest affection, but notice as Paul answers, my motive is for his will in verse number 20. That God would give me courage now as always that Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Whatever God's will is for me, that's what I desire. Nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. Christ is my life. His will is my chief concern. That his eternal purposes might be fulfilled in me and through me in the world. Therefore, Christ's goals are my goals. His desires are my desires. And he even says in the end of verse 20, whether that's life or death, so be it. I don't even care about that stuff. That's in the hand of God. Whatever, wh however, I long, however long I live, whenever Christ wants to call me home, that's completely in his, his purview. I just want to do his will. He said that to the Romans, didn't he? Remember chapter 12? Perhaps you've read that verse before, but, but if not, let me remind you. He's appealing to the brothers in Rome by the mercies of God, to present their bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And don't be conformed to this world. Don't think like this world. Don't adopt the value system of this world. Don't live by the world's philosophy. Those are dead ends. Those end in dark places. Don't do that. Don't conform to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The very thing that he's telling the Philippians. Think like this, Philippians. In the midst of your suffering, in the midst of your trial, in the midst of your pain, here's how you think. For to me, living is about Jesus and dying is gain. I mean, don't you understand, Christian, that's what Jesus saved you for? Do you remember what he said to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 6? 
19, what, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? You were bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. You see, for me to live as Christ simply means that Christ is the love of my life. And love is always thinking about the object of its love. Jesus referred to this in Matthew 6, verse 21, when he said, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where is your heart's treasure? Is the question. Where is it, Christian? Love translates into action. A reckless abandonment to the object of his love. That's how Paul lived his life. Paul spent his time proclaiming Christ and the gospel and was not concerned about what might happen to him because he knew that Christ was sovereignly in control of every moment and every circumstance of his life. And he says that in verse number 20, that Christ would be magnified or honored, whether by life or by death. Now, the Apostle Paul, I mean, remember the kind of life and ministry and problems he faced. In his second letter to the Corinthians, in chapter number 6, he actually gives a list. Listen to this. He says, I am more. In labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequently, in deaths often. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. I mean, it's such a, such a little pithy statement, isn't it? Five times I received 40 stripes minus one. And you just keep on reading. But do you understand what that means? That was, the, that, was that Roman cat of nine-tail whip in which they would embed iron and glass and bone and it was designed to be like fish hooks that when it went into the flesh on the back of a man, and in, it would dig into the flesh and the sinew and the muscle, and it was designed to tear away the flesh. A whipping like this would often expose the complete skeleton on the back of a man. And Paul just sums it all up with one little phrase five times. And then he says, three times I was beaten with rods. I mean, these are like skilled guys. They know how to break bones, break ribs. Three times I was beaten with rods, he says. Once I was stoned, Acts chapter 14. I get professional stoners. Like they knew how to throw stones to kill people. Yeah, I was stoned once. Everybody thought I was dead, but I came back to life. Three times I was shipwrecked, the day and the night I've been in the deep, in journeyings often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils amongst false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. Now, you want to listen to Paul's assessment of all that. Here's his assessment, his own words. Acts 20, 24. But none of these things 
None of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I may finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. That's what Paul means when he says, for to me, to live is Christ. Let's ask him a second question. Can we do that? Paul, what do you mean to die is gain? You see that in verse number 21? For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. What, Paul, what do you mean by that? Notice that word gain. Paul says death is gain. That, that, that means to attain something greater, something that's more profitable. You see, what Paul is saying is that he lived by an eternal perspective. With the writer of Hebrews who, speaking of Abraham, talks about Abraham who sojourned in the land of a promise as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs of him with the same promise. For he looked for a city whose foundations, whose builder and maker is God. In other words, Abraham did not live for here. He lived for that eternal city that is made by God. That's, that's, what, that's, what, that's what drove Abraham. And as we fast forward all the way to the end of Scripture, we come to Revelation chapter 21, where the writer John, in verse 2, describes this loud voice from heaven, saying, Behold, the dwelling of place of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Paul, what do you mean to die is gain? To die is, is, is something greater. I, I, will, I will go from the lesser to the greater. I'll be in heaven with him. In that sense, Paul says death is actually desirable. To depart and be with Christ. Notice what he says in verse number 23. He's not talking about killing himself. He's not talking about taking anything into his own hands. He's simply in prison facing what will be a, a judgment of whether he is going to live or die. And he says, it doesn't matter to me which way it goes. Guys, God's in control of that. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die, you can't scare me with heaven. Notice what he says in verse number 23. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart, notice, and be with Christ. He wasn't saying, my desire is to depart so that I can escape these like five-time beatings and, and three rods and, and, and imprisonments. You know, my life is just painful and terrible. And so, so it's all about me. So I'm going to go ahead and I just want to leave this behind. It's too, it's too difficult. That's not what Paul's saying. Paul here is saying, for to me to live is Christ and to die is, is gain. In other words, I have an eternal perspective. To depart and be with Christ is far better than life here. I will, however, he says in verse 24 and 25, remain and fulfill my ministry because that's what's best for you. But I want you, Philippians, to know that my ultimate joy will be to see Jesus face to face. 
to be physically in his presence, never to depart. That's what Paul means when he says to die is gain. I want to apply this. I want us to apply this to ourselves in two ways. What does this philosophy mean? How does it shape our decisions or our daily life? And then, how will it shape our ministry? Living when dying gain shapes our decisions. What will it mean for me to embrace this Pauline philosophy, this biblical philosophy, that for to me to live is Christ? It means that I will make all decisions in my life based on God's priorities, not mine. It means I will choose a lifestyle that reflects that priority. We should be wise stewards of the resources that God has entrusted to us. As Jesus said, to the one who came to him and wanted him to arbitrate between he and his brother about some inheritance. Jesus said, take heed, Luke chapter 12, and beware of covetousness. Listen, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. That's not what life is about, Jesus said. How do we apply this? It means that I will gladly sacrifice all, even my own life, if required, to glorify God's great name. Nate Saint, on January the 8th, 1956, Nate Saint had flown his little yellow Piper Cub onto a sandbar in the center of Ecuador. He and his four friends were seeking to reach the Wadani. I was going up there, called the Alka Indians, an unreached tribal people with the gospel. On January the 8th, the native peoples, very hostile, came out of the jungles and speared those five missionaries to death. One month before that happened, Nate Saint said this in a radio interview, quote, people who do not know the Lord ask why in the world we waste our life as missionaries. They forget that they too are expending their lives. And when the bubble has burst, they will have nothing of eternal significance to show for the years that they have wasted. End of quote. What will it mean to live by the philosophy to die as gain? It means, according to Paul, I press towards the mark. This earnest expectation, this intense driving desire and anticipation to have a goal and continually evaluate and determine if what we are doing moves us towards that mark. In chapter 3, Paul put it this way, this one thing I do. To die is gain means that I develop an eternal perspective. This life is not the end, but merely the path to the greater. To die is gain, verse 21. It's like what Paul said to the Corinthians, that, that we look not at the things that are seen, but the things that are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, and the things which are not seen are eternal. It means... I will become all things to all men. It means that I am willing to step outside of my comfort zone for the sake of his name amongst the lost in the world around me. 
It means I am willing to take risks for God. Paul said, neither do I count my life dear to myself, Acts 20, 24. And it means that I'm willing to build Christ's kingdom for him to be exalted and magnified at my expense. God magnifies himself, builds his kingdom around the world, and does it on my dime. I pay so that he's glorified. That's what it means. By life or by death. We saw that. Paul said, it doesn't matter to me, by life or by death, only that he is exalted, only that his name is glorified and lifted high. That he receives the worship and the praise and the honor that is due to him. By life, which is Christ's, or by my death, only that Christ is glorified and the choice between the two rests with him. Let me ask you this question. Are you willing for God to build his kingdom at your expense? Can I apply this one other way? Living when dying shapes our decisions, but living when dying shapes our ministry. For the hours and months and years that God chooses in his sovereign plan to keep us here, how does this philosophy of life and view of ministry shape our ministries? Well, I, there's three things in the text. Here they are, and then I'll comment. Number one, it gives us great courage. Number two, it magnifies Christ. And number three, it gives us an overwhelming desire to be with him. Notice, notice please, verse 20, the second part of verse 20. Living when dying is gain shapes our ministry by infusing us with great courage. Look at verse 20. But that with, that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored. 1852, David Livingston had just put his wife and, and, and daughter on a ship out of Cape Town, South Africa, bound for the UK. He turned his sights to the interior of Africa and would spend much time in the country that I now live, which is now Zambia. In his journal, December the 28th, 1852, David Livingston wrote, Am I on my way to die in Sibituane's country? Have I seen the last of my wife and children? The breaking up of all my connections with earth? Leaving this fair and beautiful world and yet knowing so little of it? Oh, Jesus, fill me with thy love now. I beg you, accept me and use me a little for thy glory. I have done nothing for thee yet, and I would like to do something. Oh, do, do, I beg you. Accept me in my service and take thou all the glory. Living when dying gain shapes our ministry by infusing us with great courage. Number two, living when dying is gain shapes our ministry by the magnification of Christ. The chief purpose of man is to glorify God and worship him together. And suffering and even death become the verification that we believe what we proclaim. On December the 6th, 1943, missionary John Stamm wrote this letter to his mission board. Dear brethren, my wife, baby, and myself are today in the hands of the communists. 
Their demand is $20,000 for our release. All our possessions and stores are in their hands, but we praise God for peace in our hearts and a meal tonight. God grant you wisdom in what you do and us fortitude, courage, and peace of heart. He is able and a wonderful friend in such a time. The Lord bless and guide you, and as for us, may God be glorified, whether by life or by death. That was December the 6th, 1943. On December the 7th, 1943, John and Betty Stam were marched to another city, stripped of their clothes, and paraded through the streets before being shot to death. Their three-month-old baby girl, the name of Helen, was found in an abandoned house 30 hours after their execution and was smuggled by a Chinese evangelist in a rice basket and delivered to missionaries in cities on the, city on the other side of the country. Life or death, only that you're glorified, Lord. Number three, living when dying is gain shapes our ministry by an overwhelming desire to be with him. Notice what Paul said in verse 23, to, to depart is something desirable. He desired to depart and receive the full inheritance and the eternal reward of heaven, but he was willing nevertheless to stay and faithfully serve God's people while at the same time longing to depart and be with Christ. We too must live understanding that for the Christian, death in Christ is gain. So that when death comes, we can say with the Apostle Paul, 2 Timothy chapter 4, the time of my departure has come. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my race. I have kept the faith. So which world are you living for? How would you describe the philosophy that you live by? For to me, to live is gain and die is Christ. I'll have my Christian insurance policy. In the end, I get Christ. But right now, I'm just going to get everything that satisfies me down here. Is that how you live? Or... Can you say with the Apostle Paul in our text this morning, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. We've come face to face with the Apostle Paul this morning. And we've looked at the driving philosophy of Paul's life and ministry. What does that mean? How should we respond? Well, perhaps for some of us this priority will be reflected in our home as we intentionally raise next generation leaders with a biblical worldview. Children who learn how to sacrifice and serve. For some, this priority will be reflected by sacrificially funding gospel advance to unreached peoples in Africa and around the world. For some of you, this priority may mean giving your life as intercessors for the nations and for those who you send from grace, to reach these people with the gospel. But for some here, this priority will mean giving up their small ambitions to prepare for gospel ministry, or even 
investing your life to go as a God-called spirit-filled missionary who will invade these restricted access countries of the world, willing, if necessary, to lay down your very life for the glorious cause of Jesus Christ among the nations. What is your philosophy of life and ministry? Let me tell you something, there's only one that satisfies. There's only one that fulfills. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Father, may that anthem ring from the very core of our being. May everything, may, 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 may the, the, the heart that is beating in our breast beat for your glory for your magnification, for your exaltation, for, for, the, for, the, for the advancement of your kingdom. And help us, give us eyes that see an eternal perspective, from an eternal perspective. That this life here is transient, it is temporary, but there is a life that is eternal to be forever with you in your presence. Help us to live for you now. And for those who may be here in this hour who have not yet bowed the knee in humble repentance and faith to believe in Jesus and to receive this glorious gospel for themselves, Lord, do your work of grace in them. And for those of us who've walked with you for a few years, for some of us maybe many years, would you reorient our thinking would you reprioritize our values that we may be able to say, for to me to live is Christ and die is gain. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Would you stand if you're able? Join as we close.
So good to us. Phil, thanks for bringing the word today. And Holy Spirit uses the word to do the work, changing us and conforming us more into Christ's image. I have a few announcements. I'm going to pray for this young man as he goes out this summer uh, to serve the Lord. Uh, we have all church barbecue tonight, four o'clock, uh, music, games, smoked meats, rich fellowship, and we're going to do a QA with Phil and give a ministry update from Zambia. Uh, next Sunday, uh, June 4th, 12.15 p.m., right after third service, Believer's Baptism. Uh, Jesus instructs believers to obediently identify with him and the church in public declaration of faith. So if you need to be baptized, let us know. You can sign up on the QR code. Um, June 10th, there's a men's event. Uh, June 14th, there's a missions night. And then we are introducing Grace Orange Academy, a new ministry that exists to assist parents as they train their children to know and love Christ. Uh, we want to provide robust biblical and theological training. We're excited to begin offering weekly Bible and theology courses to children free of charge uh, beginning this September as a supplement to whatever kind of schooling they're already doing. Uh, there will be an info night and a Q&A on June 28th, uh, but online registration actually opens this Thursday, June 1st. And then let's pray for Aiden Van Eck. Aiden is going out with Uncharted Waters Sports Ministry. He's leaving Tuesday, this coming Tuesday. He'll go straight to Virginia, do some training, and then they're going to send him out to local churches throughout the United States to uh, preach the gospel and, and do sports training. So we're going to pray for him right now. 
Lord, we thank you and praise you for your goodness to us. Thank you, Lord, for the church. Thank you for your word. Uh, thank you as your spirit uses the word in our lives and uses others in our lives. And thank you for Aiden and thank you for his heart and life to serve you where you're leading. Thank you for how you have given him a deep desire. And we've seen it over and over again here uh, that he has to serve you in any way possible. And we pray, Lord, that as he goes this summer, we pray for his team. We pray for those leading them. Pray for the thing, the people they will meet, that the the uh, the ministries they will be involved in. Pray that you would bear much fruit through his efforts. We pray that you would lead him and guide him, protect and provide all for your glory. And we pray in Jesus' name, Amen. amen. As we close, Romans 11. Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God! How unsearchable are his judgments! How inscrutable his ways! For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Sovereign in the mountain air, sovereign on the ocean floor, with me in the calm, with me in the